Hello again, and we're back. This is I Am The Night, the podcast where we break down episodes of Batman, the animated series, every single week for your listening pleasure. Um, those who heard us last week know that I had a guest uh, presenter with me, Max Byrne, because my boy is off seeing his girlfriend. And, you know, he's in his 20s. He's allowed to uh, escape and not do some work every now and then, I guess. But with me is Max, the mandatory Max Byrne, host of the mandatory marvel and dc show on the comics in motion podcast network but also a fantastic writer he writes on uh dark Mac news which is where i'm editor-in-chief and my own site fantastic universes but he also writes for earth 9 dc uh, dc world and multiple others he's a top bloke you'll love him max how the devil are you my friend thanks for joining us for a second week it's my pleasure yet again steve thank you yet again for having me on this is a, a pleasure and an absolute privilege to be on to talk about this kind of stuff so thank you for thinking of me to be on here well you did tell me uh, a few months back when we first started this show that this story was one you wanted to talk about so are you you fairly happy that this is one you're actually on i am indeed the gods have smiled upon me uh, today so yes i'm very happy thank you fantastic for listeners obviously if you haven't read the show notes as yet we're talking about robin's reckoning the two-part story which formed episodes 32 and 33 about the animated series it's our 29th episode of i am the night written by the wonderful randy rogel who's written brilliant episodes of this series in the past and we'll write a lot more as we continue and one of the best batman the animated series directors dick sebast um they wrote and directed both these episodes so there's a fantastic unifying theme and i would love to see like a movie link version of this one day but max i know you love this story i want you to tell us what it is about robin's reckoning that you love and how it felt watching it again after probably a fairly long time not seeing yeah it's probably at least a a year maybe even two years since i watched this so it's great to go back and watch it the other day i mean i am a sucker for a good origin story i love an origin story so uh, although it's you know it's a especially well-worn origin story with the origin of dick grayson uh, becoming robin um it's just great to see it properly represented they haven't they haven't done it full, well they actually i suppose they have done it in live action in the titans tv show um but that was done a sort of a, in a meandering fashion told over a, a sort of a whole season-long arc of the first season of titans but to have a nice tight story done over two episodes so about 45 to 50 minutes worth of, of story um brilliantly referential to the the canon um i'm all in i love it i love to see trips back in time i love the two time periods that this show uh, represents and you can see the tangible difference in dick grayson as a child to the adult dick grayson and how he's molded by what he's been through it's just a great two episode arc of this show and for me personally it's just my opinion it's up there with the very best this show has to offer i would say what do you think oh totally uh robin's reckoning is one of the greatest two-parters one of the greatest stories this show's done because like you said it's so true uh to the comics but to hear it voiced and, and see it acted because again something this show does amazingly well is it gets the animation but you can feel the emotion Mm. and the characters faces and the way they move the way they talk and it's very clever storytelling which we'll come to when we talk about the scene where dick's parents die but do you not think wonderful performances especially from the little child actor who plays dick and and obviously kevin Conroy, but everyone involved in this episode what do you reckon of the voice cast this week brilliant absolutely top draw um 
I mean, the, the, the usual suspects are on great form as they always were in this show. The boy, um, playing the young dick is great. You, you, you manage to feel such empathy and sorrow for him, um, based on what happens to him, uh, with the demise of his, his parents at the circus. You, he really is a very talented young voice actor. And of course, it would, it wouldn't be uh, fair to miss out the, um, wonderful appearance of, uh, Thomas F. Wilson, aka Biff from Back to the Future as uh, the uh, terrible Tony Zuko uh, killer of said parents. So again, I think we said it on last week's show, the they guest uh, vocal talent on this show, again, top draw. I mean, Thomas F. Wilson, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? A, a nerd god, a geek deity, absolutely. Obviously, the, quite rightly, Joey Simon, who plays young Dick Grayson, was fantastic. And we also get, it's great when... The series gets so far, 30 episodes in, when it can self-reference. And the fact that they cast Eugene Roche to come back and play uh, Stromwell from um, It's Never Too Late as his uh, head honcho gangster and uh, Zuko's uncle was brilliant. But having, like you say, Thomas F. Wilson, Biff Tannen himself, yeah. Hank Hayward from Legends of Tomorrow appear as the fantastically deranged Tony Zuko. And did you spot? And I think it was brilliantly acted and, and fantastically animated because he gets more and more wacky as it goes along. The mm. character starts off almost like, uh, I don't know, like a Godfather-esque slick back hair, um, gangster. Mm. But by the end of the second episode, he's a deranged, almost Bill Sinkovich, electro assassin type looking character. And he goes from calm, collected, look at me, I'm the big I am gangster to, um, Biff at his insane worst from Back to the Future. Did you spot that gradual change and his absolute fear at running away from from Batman and Robin? Did you, did you catch those little moments? Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. That's great way that they sort of made a tangible difference between the two time periods. I mean, not just merely aging up the character a little bit with a couple of extra lines on his face. Like you said, the the difference between the character is night and day, isn't it? He's like this supremely confident, cocky up and coming get you know force in the gotham underworld in the early time period when he's at the circus trying to extort them and then like you said at the sort of the, the second time period set in the modern days he's, he's off his rocker isn't he he's, he's scared out of his mind um, and just about keeping a, a grip on reality so it's great it's, it's a compliment to uh obviously the terrific voice talent of um tom f wilson and the way he's able to just convey that deranged quality but also the the wonderful animation again like we spoke of last week's show the way they can do so much with the sort of minutiae of someone's appearance and facial expression it's just brilliant isn't it yeah because by the end of the second episode he's gone from a standard chiseled Batman the Animated Series character, so almost manga-esque with the lines in his face mm. pulsing in his mad wide eyes and it's a, it's a brilliant thing to see but Talking about the animation, let's go right back to the beginning of the story where we see um, <laughs> Batman and Robin on a rooftop checking out a crime scene. They're basically mm -hmm. on a stakeout waiting for some villains to turn up. And they have this wonderful one-sided conversation between Dick, who's back from university to work a couple of cases with Batman. And, and the only answer Batman gives is, uh-huh. Uh -huh. yeah. And it's just a brilliant piece of character. What did you make of that wonderful scene at the beginning? Yeah. Well, it's spot on, isn't it? I mean, that's so often how 
Batman's depicted in the comic page to this very day, you know, when he's in conversation with one of his sort of younger underlings, younger member of the Bat family, they'll be talking a mile a minute, bombarding him with questions, and he'll just respond with, hmm, yeah, hmm, or something like that. So it's just wonderfully consistent with the sort of dynamic between the two characters, and just a great bit of sort of comic, not comic relief because it's the start of the show, but sort of the, the comic part before the storm isn't it because there's some heavy stuff going on in this episode um some heavy themes but it's just that bit of bit of light and shade at the start and it, it's obviously it's as well you, the massive contrast at the start of this episode to, to later is how joyful dick is uh, when being robin you get the sense that he absolutely is having a ball isn't he when he swings oh, yeah. into when he go on to take those uh, villains out on the the um construction site there i think he says something like yippee or yahoo as he sort of swings in on his on his uh bat rope there to start taking them out he, and he's got a, a grin on his face he absolutely loves being robin at that point and we obviously we know what's to come <laughs> and within the context of the show we know what's to come and where that character ends up but he his joy is tangible isn't it it's vintage robin it's it's mm. the light to Batman's darkness, but it, it's, yeah. it's great, like you say, to see that contrast. But yeah, you can still feel the affinity and, and familial bond between the two characters because when Dick basically just has enough of the aha uh-huh answers, he says, Well, I'm just so glad you're such a great conversationalist. You see that rarest of things, Batman's smile. And I just feel that he's a much lighter character. In a few episodes where we've seen Lauren Lester's brilliant Dick Grayson appear in this show, mm. do you not find that? The, Batman's character actually lifts palpably whenever Robin's on the show. Yeah, I think it's just that sort of effect rubbing off on him, isn't it? You know, he's pretty much depicted in this show, like you said, Robin's in it quite sparingly, I suppose. And he is just the lone lone wolf, isn't he, Batman, in this, with the exception of, obviously, sort of Alfred and and Jim Gordon. He tends to go alone with every sort of confrontation in every case. So just to have that sort of younger upbeat positive sort of influence to bounce off it you're quite right he just tend to not lighten him up dramatically but there's there's sort of a a less a less darker facade to him isn't there yeah you can absolutely feel it and when he swings off with his yahoos and <laughs> after batman said was he you know careful follow my lead he's oh i'm so glad we had this talk and he swings by after him and they get to the building, the building site where the villains are doing their nefarious schemes. And mm. Robin swings in and do you not find it? It's brilliantly directed. Where obviously this is a, a Saturday morning show that you can't mm. see them, uh, smashing people's faces in blood and guts, or whatever else. But the way both Batman and Robin time their kicks and punches so that the villain will go as close to the edge without going over or fall into a passing elevator or whatever else, that mm. that choreography, that fight scene, and of course that classic moment where Batman swings in doing his very best Miley Silas impression, coming <laughs> in like a wrecking ball, that those action scenes are just so brilliantly handled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a, a theme of the show in general. I love the the fight choreography in general. It's not. I think we spoke of last week. They don't depict Batman to be this unstoppable, almost inhuman fighting machine that no one can put down. You know, there is always a sense of stakes and danger when him and Robin are, are in these fight situations, aren't they? They, you know, it's not uncommon for them to take a punch to the face as well, isn't it? It's not like they go in there and 
you know, it's a case of, you know, take cover and we'll, Batman and Robin are here and don't worry about it because we'll, we won't even get a scratch. They do, you know, they do take the odd uh, kick and punch yeah. too. So I, I like the fact that they put that in. It's really, really nicely done. Just uh, it, it makes it, shows you that, you know, despite their sort of wonderfully outlandish costumes and the fact that they are superheroes, uh, you know, they, they can, uh, they can take a punch as well if needs be. Oh, they sure can. And um, if you don't knock them out, they're going to hit you even harder. It exactly. makes you wonder about the intelligence or lack thereof levels of the hoodlums, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it does, really, doesn't it? I mean, you know, what's wrong with uh, shooting them? <laughs> it, it just never Exactly, it just never happens. But I suppose you can sort of nitpick that over the past 80 years of Batman and Robin, I suppose, that uh, no one's ever just shot them in the face or something like that but um you know that's a that's a bigger <laughs> discussion i think but um yeah they're great aren't they the fight scenes in this they're really kinetic and you know despite the the sort of um the way things have gone today with the wonderful uh, cgi cartoon fighting you can do now especially in the dc animated films where it's all singing or dancing here it just feels grounded doesn't it and you sort of feel the you feel the punches more i think it's more visceral, more realistic. Yeah. Absolutely. You can almost, like you say, feel it, that the sound effects and the animation do a great, great job of that. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously brilliantly entertaining, but also fantastic foreshadowing. The way the uh, writers handle this, the way they pace each episode, where you see that wonderful chemistry, wonderful um, humour between Batman and Robin, and then two words are said, a Billy Marin. Mm. And you can almost feel the temperature drop on Batman's voice. Uh, how do you think that was handled? Really good. Because even if you're watching this and you've got no idea who they're talking about, the look of, oh, not terror, because he's not going to be scared, is he? But that look of shock as in, oh my God, he's, he's, he's still around on Batman's face. And he realizes the, the consequences of, if, you know, if he lets Dick in on this and, you know, what it's going to mean to Dick, for Dick, the dark path he could potentially go down, which he, you know, for all intents and purposes, virtually does go down uh, towards the end before he sort of pulls himself back from the abyss. Um, it's great, isn't it? It's just that weight of gravity. And even if, like I said, even if you're not sort of au fait with what they're talking about, you're immediately hooked, aren't you? You think, oh, now, what's this? What could possibly be um, so big that's going to tell Batman to you know basically just shut he shuts Robin out doesn't he for the rest of the uh, the two arc he, you know he wants him sidelined he wants him bent he says I'm going to work alone tonight you're done so immediately from a sort of general audience point of view you're hooked in thinking what's this all about yeah spot on because they start off as a team equal partners mm. and then all of a sudden Batman just puts up this wall and dicks out and you think who is this guy? Because obviously everyone's heard of Tony Zuko, particularly us comic book nerds. Mm. But obviously Billy Marin is a lesser known alias. And you think, oh, okay, what? And you, you actually get a bit annoyed about man thinking, why are you doing this? And we'll, we'll talk about the actual reasons right at the end of the episode when we get to that bit. But um, the reaction is amazing. It's almost like pure rage, like, no, not now. Why this? Mm. Especially as, as Dick's there. I mean, Maybe you wonder if, if Batman had been alone, he would have handled it differently. But mm. it's just a great character moment, isn't it? 
It is. It is. It's just really well observed and feels sort of consistent with the way that uh, Batman or Bruce um, wants to kind of shield him from, you know, the potential sort of road of horrors that this is going to send him down and, you know, stop him from sort of feeling the same way he did when, yeah, I guess, you know, faced with the chance to confront the person that killed his parents. So, you know, he's just trying to spare him a lot of pain. So it's it's good. It shows the bond between the two characters as well, you know, the fact that for all intents and purposes, he is a surrogate father to, to Dick Grayson, isn't he? And, you know, he, he only wants the best for him. He, he might go about it in a slightly sort of <laughs> strange way at times and some of his uh, sort of attitude towards Dick at times is a bit questionable, but you know, the ultimate, ultimately wants to protect the boy, doesn't he? And give him a, give him a better life than the one he had at the, at the same stage of life. So it's, it just shows the sort of familial parental father bond that he feels for the boy and just, just wants to protect him, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And on that subject, actually, it's, it's actually a brilliant segue because I did want to ask you, um, Obviously, over the last 30 episodes, we've seen little snippets, little hints mm. towards Batman's origin, but never actually physically seen it. Now, obviously, that's an origin that's been told ad infinitum, almost nauseatingly often, so people mm. know it. But do you not find it still a little bit odd that this is Batman the Animated Series and we're getting Robin's origin in full, in depth and in detail mm. before Batman's? Or do you think that was a conscious decision on the part of the uh, series makers? Um... I think probably, yeah, I think there's probably sort of two, maybe two reasons I can think of for it. One is I think that, like you just said, it's been done to death, hasn't it, the Batman origin story, and and everyone everyone kind of knows it. It's kind of the same as the Superman origin. People know <laughs> know that story, don't they? So you don't necessarily have to retell it to educate the audience. And also maybe they were trying to figure out how to portray Batman's origin in a way that's not too... Um, sort of, not alienating, but maybe inappropriate for a child audience, because at the end of the day, both his mother and father were shot and killed, weren't they? So it's whether they were trying to figure out how do we portray two people being gunned down and murdered in a way, do you know what I mean? That In a way that can be on screen for kids and not attract a lot of complaints, whereas with this, the... I suppose we'll get to shortly, but the death of the Graysons in this is done very tastefully, isn't it? Because there's no weaponry involved yes. and you don't, you literally don't even see them fall, let alone, uh, hit the ground and die or you don't see the bodies on the floor. You all, literally all you see is that rope of the trapeze snap, isn't it? That's it. That's all you see and that's all you need to see because you can tell what's happened there. You don't have to be a, 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 a genius to figure it out. So I just, again, maybe they just couldn't figure that out, how to do do you know what I mean? How to show people being shot in a way that's as tasteful? I don't know. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. And I couldn't agree mm. with you more because in the hints we've had, we clearly know what's happened. We clearly know Bruce's parents have died. We clearly know that's what made him become Batman. Mm. And it's underlined in the way he acts towards Dick in this episode where he does know exactly what Dick's going and, and Dick says it at one point, oh, you have no idea what I'm going through. But then he goes, oh, God, of course he does. It's a matter of public record. All the people in Gotham City know what happens to Bruce Wayne's parents. And that beautiful scene with Bruce and Dick staring up at the portrait in Wayne Manor of, of Thomas and Martha Wayne mm. is enough to show you that these two uh, men or this man and this child have lived through the same horror. But Batman wants to put 
stick on a different path and not have him face it with rage, but face it mm. with training, with confidence, with calm. But yeah. it, it's brilliantly done that, um, like you quite rightly said, that we don't see Batman's origin and the way we do see dicks, it's genius storytelling. Because yeah. we know what's happened. We know they've fallen to their deaths, but we don't see the bodies fall. We don't hear them spat on the ground. We don't see anything. We see the look of horror on the faces in the crowd and particularly on Bruce. Mm. And it's a masterful piece of storytelling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, they could have done it in a more explicit manner, which probably wouldn't have been gone down too well with the, um, you know, family viewing, but it's just, it's just really tastefully done and you know what's coming. I mean, you know, as soon as they head out on that trapeze that it's going to snap and, you know, bad things are about to happen here, but they just do it in such a way that it's not going to, you know, upset kids too much. It's, you know, this isn't Bambi's mum getting shot. This is, um, a slightly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So, it's just it's just the right side of tasteful, I think. Beautifully handled and not done in a explicit vulgar manner, I would say. Well said. Well said. Now speaking of brilliant storytelling, did you laugh out loud like I did when we first see Bruce at the circus? <laughs> and the ringmaster introduces him and in pure classic Bruce Wayne fashion, he's a total klutz, spills his popcorn, spills his drink, has a stupid look on his face. Again, that brilliant mask Bruce puts on. What did you think of that lovely little moment? Perfect. Perfect. I, I, I wrote that down myself in my notes. It's just that perfect touch to throw everyone off the scent, isn't it? That he could possibly in a million years ever be Batman because he, how, how could someone who's so feckless and, you know, irresponsible and just a, a, not a solid citizen ever be this sort of ultra trained badass crime fighter? It's just great, isn't it? It's, it's just classic bit of uh, misdirection there. As uh, Michael Cole might say, vintage Batman. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's, mm. it's so, so well done. And one of the many great pieces of storytelling, one of the great tools they use, particularly in this episode, is um, the way they've done the flashbacks is great because it's not just through Batman's eyes. It's not just through Robin's eyes. You see the history of what happened back in the day with uh, Dick's parents, Hayley Circus mm. and Zuko through the perspective of both characters. I thought that was brilliantly handled. What did you make of that piece of storytelling? Fantastic. Really good. Um, And it's just the the, the Robin side of it I really like as well, because virtually the the most of the entire show, the entire run is through Batman's eyes, isn't it? So to give it that perspective from someone else's, especially that of a, at the time anyway, was a a little boy is great. Um, It just puts a nice little, a little twist on it and, shows you a, an, another way of, of seeing it and it also makes your heart go out to him that little bit more doesn't it as well you know rather than it just being a case of following bruce wayne's story as he get you know he's a, as he's at the circus and on all the rest of it by focusing on on dick's story and, and telling it through the prism of his eyes you empathize with him a bit more don't you and it sort of draws you into him a bit more i think it when you feel it more when his parents die because you've spent that little bit of time with him as a young boy and see the sort of bond he had with his mum and dad and how proud they were of him and, you know, the wonderful act they had in on the trapeze, you just feel that bit more of a sort of punch to the gut, don't you, that, oh, my God, he's just a, he's just a young child and his parents have just plummeted to the death right in front of him. You know, it's it's really, 
really effective, I think. Don't you find that? Oh, yeah. It's powerful. Mm. It, it does get you right in the gut because, yeah. again, we know that both these guys were kids when the worst thing to possibly happen to a child happens right in front of them. But having it told through both perspectives, you see the horror, pain of, of Dick's reaction. But do you not find that Batman's reaction, Bruce's reaction was almost worse? His rage, his hatred of Zuko. Mm in places actually felt stronger than Dick's did. Did you, did you feel that as well? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it kind of portraying that sort of way that Bruce sees himself in, in Dick Grayson, doesn't he? And it sort of makes him, it makes Bruce revisit his childhood and he's sort of almost feeling, taking out his rage against what happened to his mom and dad on projecting it onto Tony Zuko because he's, you know, he's got an outlet again for that rage by, you know, sort of living vicariously through Dick's experience. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It does, he, he, you know, he does, he almost, despite the fact that he's never met the boy prior to the accident and doesn't know him from Adam, it's, he almost lives vicariously, I suppose it's the wrong word, but almost lives vicariously through Dick's experience, doesn't he? Yeah, I see that too. But I found also that... Maybe, and it's not something I've really thought about it until, again, re-watching this as a a grown-ass man, that perhaps as well, he's thinking to himself, I mean, why did he become Batman in the first place to stop this kind of thing happening? And he's standing there watching, he's thinking, oh, God, not again. Not another. I can't believe this is happening again. And I feel even though it's nothing to do with him, he didn't cause the accident. He feels a sense of guilt about it. Mm. And that, again, is part of the reason, not just to to give Dick a home, but because I didn't have this. Let's give this kid something I did not have mm. when I was put this into the situation. What do you think about that um, view of it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just he feels a sense of moral responsibility for the boy. Um, despite what he said, he doesn't know him. He, he sort of has no tie to him, no obligation to him. And I suppose one wonders if he hadn't been at the circus that night, would he have reached out to... Exactly. <laughs> if he hadn't been sat in the audience, because I can't imagine that in a, a city as awful as Gotham City for that kind of thing, I can't imagine that other nights don't go by and other children aren't orphaned because their parents have been killed um, by, you know, various low life. So what makes Dick any difference to the other children that have probably suffered that same fate as Bruce in those years between what happened to him and uh, now in this depicted, I think it's just the fact that he's, he happens to be there and it kind of smacks him in the, in the face a bit more and, you know, being faced with this, this, child who's you know roughly the same age as, as that he was um when this it's not this identical thing but a similar you know at, at the end result was the same at least of, of your parents going um that happened to him i think it just you wonder what would have happened if he hadn't been there that night and what path dick grayson would have would have gone down he would have just ended up i guess in the sort of care system and and you know wouldn't have had a an outlet and a channeled direction for his rage and you wouldn't got he probably would have ended up dead or something like that wouldn't he you wonder what actually would have become of the boy well said mate absolutely do you know it's funny because i've actually thought that a thousand times but never more so and this is again one of my weird nerd ramblings and the way my crazy mind works that <laughs> i actually think that 
John Robin Blake from Dark Knight Rises mm. is Richard John Grayson on a night where Bruce Wayne in that reality did not go to that circus. He yeah. did go to the system. He did get passed around foster homes until he got uh, adopted by the Blakes. Um, obviously, um, the fact that he's John, which is Dick Grayson's middle name after his father, mm. uh, was telling to me. And the fact that he was an orphan, but he still took the right path. He became a cop and he ends up wandering into the back cave at the end of the film. And you find out his middle name's Robin, which is a lovely mm. little touch from Christopher Nolan. Mm. That's my take, actually. I think in that universe, that's what happened to Dick Grayson. But that's just me being an ultra nerd. <laughs> 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 I don't know what you make of my insane ramblings, mate. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the, the fact that they drop that in right at the end of the film, I think you're sort of meant to infer that he is a, a, a version of, of, of Robin. Uh, and obviously, you know, the way that film ends, he's going to sort of take on the mantle of Batman and protect the city now that Bruce has sort of faked his death and gone into blissful retirement with Selina. Um, so, yeah, I think you're quite right. I think you're quite right. But then there's, you know, there's... I don't know if it's ever, I don't know if they've ever done an Elseworlds or a what if issue, but it, you know, it could make a good one to show what did happen if Bruce hadn't gone to the circus that night, if something had have happened to him, him that prevented him from being there, that maybe something happened in the city that demanded his attention as Batman or something else, or he decided just not to go or anything like that may have happened. And it would make for a really good what if one shot or something like that, just to show what became of Dick. Did he, did he ultimately, is he predestined to become um, Robin or, or a version of Robin, a crime fighter of, of, of some description and going down the path similar to, like you said, the the, the um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt character in The Dark Knight Rises? Or would he go down a, a, a darker path? And, you know, based on that childhood trauma and feeling bitter, would he go down almost a villainous path? It would be interesting to for someone to do some kind of examination of that, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I hope that it would be something like um, the John Blake path. But obviously being comics readers and knowing that um, Richard Grayson's a descendant of, um, oh God, I forget his surname. Well, basically his great grandfather was a talent and he was being yes. raised to be a talent and part of the Court of Owls. That yes. If Bruce hadn't got to him, we know for a fact that maybe the Court of Owls would. So mm. would Batman have faced the ultimate adversary in a man that should have been his adopted son, his ward, his partner in, in, in crime fighting? So mm. there's so many ways that story could go. And like I said to, to the boys on the Superheroes for Dummies show, that that's a story I think we need to write. Mm. Um, so it would make a fascinating. I mean, that could be five else worlds in and of itself. What happened? What if Batman didn't go to the circus tonight? Dick Grayson's parents were killed. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I'd, 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 I'd love to see it. Definitely. Yeah, it's an else worlds story. DC, if you're listening, checks payable to Max Byrne, Steve J. Ray, <laughs> um, Paul McGuigan, and Daniel Belgrave. Uh, care of <laughs> London, or just send it via DC Comics News or Comics in Motion. But anyway, um, dreaming aside, <laughs> let's talk about something we mentioned last week, actually, when we saw Bruce disguise himself as a villain to capture another villain. Another fantastic Bruce Wayne in disguise scene in this episode, dressed as a homeless man, as a vagrant in the streets, playing craps with some villains to get some information on Zuko. How great was that? 
Oh, it's brilliant. Like like we said last week, I love I love that side of Batman. I love that master of disguise, the theatricality, being able to adopt a completely new persona. And also, it, within the context of the show, it just showcases the versatility of Kevin Conroy, doesn't it? The fact that he's able to do different versions of the same... Vo- I mean, I suppose throughout the show, he does two voices anyway, doesn't he? His Bruce Wayne voice is markedly different to his Batman voice, which... Is a, is a logical choice, because you, you would have to be. Um, but, it, you know, it allows him to play even more, doesn't it, with his sort of vocal talent, his vocal range, by being able to just do these little little five-minute spots where it's Batman in disguise as someone else or uh, Bruce Wayne in disguise as someone else. And it's just great, isn't it? It just, just adds a little, little extra layer to things. I love them too. It's great. And it's particularly effective in this episode because... At uh, one moment, he, he's the, uh, the the homeless hobo guy, all roughly dressed, unshaven, with his dyed hair. And then all of a sudden, as he's chasing the villain, or the villain's running away from him because he's ripped open his shirt and seen the bat symbol there. Then all of a sudden, the shadow that's looming over the villain is Batman. And you don't mm. see Batman, you just see his shadow. And it's one of those archetypal, classic Batman moments, which I just live for. What did you make of that? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The, again, it's a, a tribute to the wonderful production team on this show, isn't it? The the brilliant animation with the, as we mentioned last week, the music. It all just works in this perfect synergy to give you just iconic moment after iconic moment. Um, I think every episode probably has one, but none more than this particular episode or double episode, as we said. Um, just just great. I can't get enough of that kind of stuff. It's it's what you watch this show for. Or it's, what, it's what I watch this show for, is those larger-than-life theatrical moments, you know? It's the bread and butter for us comics fans, isn't it, really? It's yeah. the stuff we, we really watch it for. But um, do you find as well, particularly in the scenes in Stromwell's home back in the past where um, mm. Zuko's hiding in his uncle's place, that there were some parts that literally rang out to me of classics like Batman Year One on the Long Halloween where Batman's overhearing things and he's the bug in the office and it's very mm. similar to the scenes with the Falcones in, in Year One and the scenes mm. where um, he breaks into the house of Commissioner Loeb to tell all the rich and uh, greedy that they're no longer safe. I got a real sense of that with that scene with Stromwell and the bug in the apartment listening to them and, and the way Stromwell slaps Zuko. Did you get a lot of Year One Long Halloween from, from these scenes? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it's great because I think in, not just this episode, but the show in general is really referential, isn't it, to the classic Batman issues, classic Batman story arcs, quite faithful to the, the, the canon as well. Um, it's great how they draw upon that. And it clearly shows that the people that made this show are first and foremost big Batman fans. That goes without saying, isn't it? It wasn't, they weren't, um, people doing a job and, you know, this was a, a, a living to them, although obviously it was a living, but it, you get a sense of how much they love the character, don't you? And how much invested in the, in the law they are. It really does. You can feel it tangibly, can't you? Best job ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. so right. Yeah. You can feel it in everything that's done in this show. I mean, case in point, did you spot the way that Batman's look drastically changes from the past scenes when he's first starting out and, and taking Dick on board to the way he looks now? The, the fact that in those uh, flashback scenes, it's the 
big black bat emblem on the grey suit mm. and all black cape and cowl mm. to the blue-lined cape and cowl with the longer ears and the yellow oval bat symbol. And you see that clearly. And that's, that's something they've always known in the comics, that the Batman of Year One era, um, early Year Two era, was the black symbol. And then he got a bit of light around his heart. Maybe that's something um, design-wise and, and, and metaphysical, probably, when he took on Robin. What do you think of those bits in the show? Oh, brilliant. It just helps to really distinguish and differentiate between the two time periods, doesn't it? Um, it just shows you that some considerable time has passed between the, the two periods. I mean, you can interpret that anyway with the fact that, you know, in that early time period, you'd picked him Dick as a, as a young boy, pre-Robin and all the rest of it, as opposed to the uh, current day timeline. But it ju- it's just great. It, it, it really gives you a sense of who Batman was against who Batman is, isn't it? It's... It shows you the evolution of the character, and I'm all for that. I love it when they mix and match the costumes to show different time periods. It's great, isn't it? Totally agree, mate. I mean, I think as well that, uh, and this has been discussed at Infinite and by experts and people far smarter than I, where Batman did start out as someone after vengeance and justice. Mm. But as soon as he brought Dick Grayson on board, he became more of a hero and protector. Mm. And it's it's clear as night and day in his costume that you can see that he's gone from the short, dark, much scarier black and grey Batman to someone that's lightened up a little bit. And he's there to um, not enjoy his role more, but certainly to make it one that's not quite as dark and vengeful, particularly when he's got a boy to teach the right way of doing things to be a mentor and father figure and teacher to and, yeah. and you feel that just by something as simple as a costume change yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's again it harkens back to saying so much by saying so little just based purely on the visual you're saying more than you can with a thousand words it should it's just beautifully executed it's just again just highlights the the depth to this show and the thinking that goes behind it it's not just a churn them out weekly kids animated show go from one week to the next this this is really heavily delving into the source material and really done with such reverence and and care um and that's to me what sets this show apart from pretty much anything else out there in the animated world it's you know the fact that we can nearly 30 years later talk about it and dissect it and people want to talk about it and dissect it more to the point is because it the way that they put all the layers in and really added to it, it just makes it stand the test of time, doesn't it? It's just that good, yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, brilliantly put, mate, that these creators are referencing, but not just for the sake of it, because Mm. they love it. They're referencing the history. And classic little bits like even at his most angry, where he's chasing Bruce down on his motorbike and Bruce has boosted off in the Batmobile, Batmobile switched off the traces so Dick can't follow him anymore. Even when Dick's fuming with rage at Batman, he comes out with a line that, well, okay, I'll just work this out on my own like I did the first time um, because I learned from the best. So even at his angriest, he realises that who he is, what he's become, he does owe to Batman. That's brilliantly done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he never loses sight of that, does he? Um, like you said, he's furious with him and you know, as sort of, can't almost can't control that rage that a, um, he's been sort of kept in the dark and not lied to, but you know, uh, things have been withheld from him, shall we say, and the fact that he's 
almost being denied his chance to, in his mind, take vengeance, put right what went wrong in his past. Uh, and he's, you know, projecting it all on Batman. But like you said, he doesn't lose sight of the fact that everything he has, everything he is, um, he owes all to Bruce, doesn't he? Yeah, well put. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. The, the, the things that come out of the 20-minute cartoon shows is just incredible. But yeah. as always, we have to talk now about the man himself, Mr. Wayne, the Batman. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about this last week, actually, how he does take a licking but keep on ticking. But in this episode, he is hurt and hurt bad. He has to make himself a splint. He's limping around. But even injured, Batman is awesome. What did you make of that aspect of him this week? Great. And it, again, like you said, it ties into what we said last week. I like the fact that he's not this indestructible man who can, t- he does take punishment and the, the hazards of being in that, in that profession, uh, for want of a better word, uh, are very real. You know, you never know when it could be your last night on the job. There's always a stray bullet with your name on it. There's always going to be a, a thug out there who's bigger and stronger than you are who can dish out punishment to you that perhaps you weren't ready for. So it's great. I love that. But like you said, it's the fact that even with a, a splint and a busted up leg, he's still able to just kick ass and be the Batman that we want him to be. It just shows the sort of indomitable will of the character, doesn't it? Um, and I think the fact that obviously it's it, the stakes are higher for him in this particular episode because it's not just about him it's about dick and trying to save dick from a terrible fate um that drives him on you really get that sense i think oh yeah totally Mm. and it's wonderful to see isn't it that he's not an egotistical character because at the end of the day it's robin that comes to batman's rescue in this episode Mm. and i thought that was beautiful i loved it it didn't annoy me this is the one negative i get from some fellow fans who say oh on, this is batman show why is robin rescuing and i think that i think these fans don't actually get it they're family they work with and for each other what did you make of that yeah absolutely um at the end of the day Although it's kind of the the master and the pupil relationship, especially at this point, um, for all intents and purposes, Dick Grayson is Bruce Wayne's equal when it comes to physicality and, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, exactly, yeah. He might not have the same brilliant mind uh, that Bruce has. Um, you know, he's he's no slouch, he's, he's no dummy, but I don't think Dick Grayson generally is depicted as having that wonderfully deductive, almost genius level intellect that bruce has but certainly in a physical situation in a tight spot you'd be happy with either of them <laughs> backing you up wouldn't you i don't think that um although bruce taught dick everything he knows it's not like he hasn't reached that same level has it so i've got no problem with robin saving batman that's that's what they're there for isn't it it's not going to be the if it was constantly a case of sort of bruce having to pull robin out of the proverbial fire every week you'd kind of think well He's dead. Why is he there? You know, he's kind of a a deadweight psychic if he has to be rescued all the time. What what purpose does he serve um, from a practical point of view? So, no, I think it's perfectly fine for for Robin to save Batman whenever and wherever the situation calls for it. I agree with you. Well said. I mean, they may have started off as a hero and psychic or, or master and student, but honestly, today they are equals. They are the dynamic duo. They're not one superior to the other they are and like you said brilliant i love the way you put that is that batman might be the the intellect but in terms of physicality in terms of acrobatics athleticism i actually think that dick is 
superior to his mentor. Batman's all power moves. He'll take you down mm. with one hit because that's the way he fights. But Dick will flip around you like a Mexican jumping bean. He's more like Yoda, where you look at him walking in with his little walking stick and you think, huh? What's this yeah. guy? And you think, what's this kid going to do? And this kid bounces around you and knocks seven levels of hell out of you before you can even breathe. They're completely distinct, but I think they're, like you said, brilliantly put, Max. Yeah, they're equals now. They, yeah. they are brothers in arms, and that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, definitely. From a from a from a physical combat, <laughs> if that's the right word, point of view, I don't think there's anything anything between them, is there? I don't think. Absolutely. Now we come to the crux of it: the truth about why Batman locked Dick out and went alone. And I think this is handled better. And this is something very hard. I mean to say this was handled better with a couple of lines in this one episode of TV than it has sometimes in decades worth of comics. The real reason Bruce shut Dick out actually made me stop and think. Please, mate, what did you make of that? Um, I think it's perfectly plausible. Um, I understand why he did it. Um, I would have done the same. I think if I was in, if I could imagine putting myself in those shoes at least. Um, it's logical. Um. It's not selfish. It's it's the opposite of selfish. It's kind of selfless. He's putting it on himself uh, to deal with, rather than involving Robin. Um, I think it's I think it's spot on. Would, would would you have done the same in those in that situation? We've had this conversation before. You know, we're, we're both fathers. We're both parents, yeah. and we always assume, and that's the way it's been portrayed in the comics that Bruce is shutting Dick out because Dick isn't ready. Dick is a kid. Dick should know better. And But in this episode, it's so beautiful that literally Bruce says, no, no, I didn't shut that out. I shut that out because he's already taken something from me and from you. I couldn't stand the thought of him taking you away as well. Yeah. And that just humanized Batman so brilliantly and defined that relationship. Again, like I said, better than in the comics because the one thing that does annoy me about Bruce, and it's still, again, one of the things I love about him because it makes him human, is his arrogance, his thinking that I can do all this by myself. But that has been tempered over recent years. Yeah. But they've managed to do that with one line in this show because, again, they don't have 80 years of history to draw upon like we do in the comics. So we've got all the backstory and we've seen Bruce get calmer and milder over the years. But that one line floored me. I thought, oh, hot damn, that's just brilliant. And I've forgotten it because, again, it's been quite a while since i've seen this yeah um i just thought it was fantastic and it completely changes again the way dick looks at him and you can tell that by the end of that two-parter they started out best friends having banter they were at odds with each other through most of the story and then that just brought them right back to, to where they should be what did you think yeah oh absolutely yeah it just shows the the way he's become well dick's surrogate father hasn't he for all intents and purposes um and he does care for him like he's his own son um it just it just shows that and it's kind of encapsulated with the the sort of the, when it shows the early scenes and, and dicks at the manor sort of acclimatizing to life and bruce says yeah. something he asks him about the the, the pain and, and suffering that you feel having been through your parents being murdered and you know do, do you, does it ever go away and, and rather than sort of sort of lying to him and saying oh yeah you know give it time you'll you'll be fine he says i wish i could t-, he says something i wish i could tell you it does um it's not going to but it will get easier over time or wor- he says something like worse to that effect doesn't he um and it just goes to show that the level of 
not just a father-son bond, but the level of empathy that Bruce has got for him. And, you know, in a Batman, Bruce Wayne is kind of almost like a pretty traumatized individual, but it just goes to show that he has got that, still got that human caring side. And it's not just a sense of duty or obligation for him. It, he does end up genuinely loving the boy, doesn't he? Well said, mate. Absolutely perfect. Wonderful. Right. So once again, we've come to that part of the episode where we look at back at Robin's Reckoning as a whole. And please, mate, let me know your thoughts, standout moments, takeaway scenes, good or bad, from this classic, classic story. I just think the thing that stands out for most for me, I, I would really struggle to come up with anything bad because I think it's a, a, a wonderfully done two-parter and in fact this won an emmy award didn't it back in uh, those days something like most outstanding program that lasts less than an hour or less than half an hour or something like that so the fact that it won an emmy tells you all you need to know about it um but i think so i can't i I would really struggle to come up with anything that i didn't like so much but the thing that i think stands out for me is just the wonderful contrast between the young robin and the older angry robin because you see him go out on two odysseys in the two timelines as a young boy he's out on the street looking for tony zuko isn't he and he's just so woefully out of his depth he's just he's just a child what does he know about anything um he's had no training he's just he's literally just a a little boy full of hate and just trying to go out there and and god knows what he actually thinks is going to happen when he gets there what he get there nonetheless he does but what's great is they show despite the fact that he's just a boy and Bruce hasn't sort of molded him yet, is those wonderful um, acrobatic skills that he puts to good use when he rescues, I think her name is Chi-Chi, the um, oh, sort of brilliant. Street, street worker, for want of a better word, and that he's being shaken down. And it's great, isn't it, the way you know he, he takes down this sort of street hoodlum with uh, just utilising those basic trapeze skills that he's probably been... Uh, honing since he came out of the womb and it's just great to see you know it shows the potential and then when you when you jump forward to the modern day timeline you see him out on this sort of path of vengeance so he can barely simmer in his uh, keep a lid on that simmering rage and again you see those same acrobatic skills used but refined with sort of the taught fighting techniques when he does catch up with Zuko on the pier head there great I just love those two sort of the synergy between the two timelines, but the, the, the boy and the man are markedly different. That for me, that's what I take away most from, from these, I would say. Wow. We have got the same brains. I was thinking <laughs> the exact same scenes and the exact same moments. That little scene where this is the difference between Dick Grayson and possibly Jason Todd or Dick Grayson and just about any other uh, character in comics that he's like, what, 10 years old, if that. Mm. And he's walking yeah. down the street. He sees this woman being abused by her boss or obviously, again, for want of a more delicate phrase, because this one is kind of a family show, that mm. he steps in to a guy twice his size who's clearly a mean, nasty piece of work, tells him to leave the woman alone and does not back down. Yeah. Dick Grayson was born a hero to me. And that, again, is why after Batman in the DC universe, he is the character that I am drawn to. I, I love this guy. 
he grew up with me. I was reading the Teen Titans issues where he becomes Dick Grayson and moves away from the mantle of Robin when I was roughly the same age as the character was depicted to be in those comics. So I have a huge love for Dick Grayson. And seeing him as a 10-year-old kid being a hero, he could have got beaten up or murdered and left in the alleyway, but he did the right thing. Yeah, using his acrobatics, his skills, like you said brilliantly, that he's probably got from the womb, is ingrained in his DNA thanks <laughs> to his parents, and he's just a hero through yeah. and through. Uh, Batman was made a hero, forced to be a hero. I do believe that Dick Grayson was was born that way and it's that age-old phrase isn't it some have some are born with greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them batman had the greatness thrust upon him but dick grayson was just born uh to, to be that hero and yeah. what a great way to win the show i think yeah absolutely heroes aren't molded they're born aren't they yeah Absolutely. And that's it. Another fantastic, fantastic episode. Robin's Reckoning is... We don't give scores here, but this would be like an 11 out of 10 for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Snap. Easy. All day long. (laughs) Brilliant. Max, mate, thanks so much again for for pulling me out of the the fire and uh, and being a fantastic co-host while uh, my son's off wondering and seeing his girlfriend and stuff. But we made him stay for two weeks, follow the guidelines, then come home and get in that shower boy <laughs> <laughs> well thank you thank you for um a oh, thanks, inviting me on and and b for you know giving me such a good time talking about this wonderful uh episode this week and obviously the one we did last week too it's been an absolute blast thank you so much no, thank you mate really appreciate it and of course once again we do have to let the world know where they can get more max take it to the max and enjoy maximum work from max um, where can the world find you and read your work my friend uh, yeah um best place to find me would be on twitter at maxi burn which is spelled m-a-x-y-b-y-r-n-e if you go there there'll be links to the various uh, websites that i uh, write reviews for and content for which steve mentioned at the top of the show uh, there's also a link to the comics in motion uh, podcast uh, network feed there where my uh, show um, mandatory marvel and dc is located which you can find and by all means have a listen um if you like what you hear, drop me a message. Maybe there's a, a book you'd like us to cover on that show that we haven't yet. Um, and by all means, we'd be open for doing that. So please do. Do say hello. Fantastic. As always, you can catch this show and all the other shows, uh, the DC Comics News Podcast, the Spinner Rack, and Mad Love the Harley Quinn cast on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can catch DC Comics News and Dark Knight News on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Instagram. As for myself, please talk to me. Please talk to Max. Please talk to us. Tell us what you like about the show, what you didn't like. Rate us, review us, as you do with all our shows and catch lots of great content on the comics in motion news feed as well um literally wherever you find podcasts and follow me on twitter at l stevo el underscore s t e e v o do a google search for steve j ray or fantastic universes to see my written work news reviews and interviews online and um please please keep listening please tell us what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and please keep tuning in and max what does everyone really need to do Read more comics. Of course, and watch more Batman. Thanks, Max. My pleasure.